everyone. Today on What's My Frame, I'm joined by casting director and RDOS winner, Lori Wyman. Lori has been casting film, television, and commercials in South Florida since 79. Some of her first projects she helped bring to life were Miami Vice, 21 Jump Street, and Wise Guy. Today we get not only loads of advice from a veteran Southeast casting director, but also some fun behind-the-scenes casting stories. Outside of casting, Lori received her master's degree from NSU with a concentration in drama therapy. She pursued the degree in order to help actors with audition anxiety. Today we talk more about Lori's acting classes and workshops with the organic actor. In 90, Lori opened her own office in North Miami Beach. Recent credits include The Right Stuff, The Assassination of Gianni Versace, American Crime Story, Fast 8, Ballers, and Bloodline. Please join me in welcoming Lori Wyman to the show. Hey, Lori, thank you so much for joining me this morning. You're very welcome. Can you start us off with your journey into casting? Okay. <laughs> so, as many casting directors, and I know a lot of them, uh, we started off, you know, doing high school theater and college theater and, and that sort of thing. And um, I just loved business, and that was something I wanted to do. I'm not sure exactly how and when I graduated college one of the talent agencies in South Florida the biggest talent agency here they were looking for somebody to do filing and typing okay well you know I just graduated from a fancy college and I wasn't going to do but but I also knew mm-hmm. that in order to get into this business you have to start anywhere yeah so filing and typing it was and uh, that didn't last a whole long time, but I worked at that agency for about five years and I loved it. I re- I loved the actors. I loved working with the actors. I was uh, an agent. I was a psychologist. I was, uh, you know, a friend. I, and I loved it, but I wanted more of a hand in actually casting because we only had a few casting directors down here um, in the Miami area. We only had a few casting directors down here at the time. And it was always a struggle when I felt that an actor was really good for something and they wouldn't see them. So I said, I want to be a casting director because I want to be able to bring actors in that I want to bring in. So long story, a little bit shorter. I started working for the casting company that was handling the Miami Vice television series. So that, that was a while ago. And, um, huh? A small show. That's right, just a little one. So that was where I cut my teeth. And uh, she assigned me, the woman who owned that company, assigned me the principal casting for Miami Vice. So I was the Florida person who did the principal casting for Miami Vice. You know, this, this little girl. And um, it was fabulous. Oh my gosh, I loved it, loved it, loved it. And I did that in her office for two years. And then at the end of the third season, the producer, I think he liked me but he took me out for dinner and he said, leave the, his words, leave there. And I guarantee you the vice account, you know, I was kind of scared and nervous and oh my gosh. And I don't know. And you know, and he got in my face and he said, do you want to be a casting director or what? Oh my gosh. I said, yes. He says, then you've got to do this and I'm giving you this opportunity. And I'm like, Oh, okay. So, um, so I, turned it back around on him. I said, I'll make you a deal. Hire me away from that place. Hire me. Give me a paycheck every Friday. Give me a desk. Give me a place and just hire me. 
because I, I didn't want my own office. I didn't want all that. I just wanted my little job and give me a paycheck on Friday and I'll be happy. Yeah. So that's what happened. And I worked in-house for the fourth and fifth seasons of Miami Vice. And I had, so I did the principal casting. My friend Cheryl did the extras casting. And Marjorie was our assistant, secretary, uh, contracts person, blah, blah, blah. And we had a blast. The, the three of us, the three of us are still amazingly close. Wow. And, um, and that was my journey. That's how, and then ne the next year I did the Burt Reynolds series, BL Stryker and 21 Jump Street and Wise Guy. And I became known as the television girl. Mm -hmm. I really wanted to do movies. And so I took myself on a trip to Los Angeles and I met with somewhere around 40 different casting directors from studios and networks and independents. And I, I wanted them to know who I was, but I also wanted them to know that we had really, really good actors in Florida because at the time people were thinking, well, Florida is just some, you know, it's just some place to, to hire a bunch of extras. So this one casting director whom I, I refer to as my angel, I love him. His name is David Rubin. And if David hears this, he knows how I feel about him. Aww. And he's, he's, he's a huge casting director, producer. He's, he's just a fabulous human being. I love him. And uh, he hired me in Florida to do some little movie called Up Close and Personal with Michelle Pfeiffer and Robert Redford. And he said, it's just extras. And I was like, well, that's okay. It's a movie. Well, just extras turned into just extras and about 18 SAG principles. And when we did the, the callback for the director, who was John Avnet, when I left, John said, very good job, very good actors, very good job. And I oh, thank you. And then David told me afterwards, you don't understand. John never says that. He said, he must be very impressed with you. So that really made me feel good. And then it kind of escalated from there. Uh -huh. And then I did a lot of really, really big movies and a lot of television, episodic television. Episodic television is, 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 is its own creature because it is just, I mean, it is bam, bam, bam. You don't take a breath from the time you start till the, till the you know, six months later when the show is over. It's very fast paced and I love doing it because like I said, I cut my teeth on Miami Vice. So I know how to do that job. I'm really, I'm really, really expert at that. And um, thank you, thank you, God, universe. I've been doing what I love for all these years. So, yeah. That's amazing. Now, yeah. it feels like it kind of, we were kind of shot out of a cannon, if you will, after college. <laughs> yeah. And like, we're going so, so fast. Now, going on to a show like Miami Vice that was already on television, and I think for anyone listening that's like, you know, wasn't watching TV in the 80s, they don't realize that show was huge, and that was pre-social media. That was buzzed about purely by people picking up the phone and talking about it that much. Um, was it intimidating at all to be cutting your teeth on such a beloved and a huge show? Or was it, you were just like, this is my new job, like just accepted it? Like, what was your mindset going into that? It was like, being on a treadmill at eight, you know, it's like, <laughs> yeah, you were like, you were, you were just, we all were because a lot of the people who worked on that show, we were, a lot of us were cutting our teeth. 
you know, mm-hmm. we had been doing other things, but this kind of accelerated it to such a fast paced level. And, you know, we were, we were cutting edge. We were, we were like a 47 minute music, MTV music video, you know? And then the people that came through our little casting office, you know, because they would be the main people, mm-hmm. not, but the main people would be cast out of the New York casting office. They were only allowed to bring in a maximum of five actors per episode. And then I, we had to cast everything else. And back then, you see, now television shows do not cast as many principals, I think mainly because it's expensive. Yeah. But back then, we would cast anywhere from 18 to 27 roles per episode. So I knew that five of them, a maximum of five of them, were going to come from elsewhere. Yeah. The main people. But everything else, we had to find. I had to find because that was my part. And, um, but some of the people who came through there, I kept my notebooks of all the cast sheets. Of I mean, people that we met, hi, how are you? And not known that one day they were going to be Julia Roberts or one day, yeah, Elena Bonham Carter, who was 20 years old when she did a vice. I mean, huge actors, Mike Chiklis. And when Mike Chiklis came in, he said, um, I just finished doing this movie where I played John Belushi. It's called Wired. Oh, well, good luck with that. You know, because it hadn't come out yet. So, you know, because these were people we didn't know. Nobody knew where these people, you know, of course, now I'm kicking myself going, darn, I wish I'd gotten pictures with them. I wish I'd gotten autographs of the scripts. I threw threw out all of my scripts. It was like, oh, who needs all this paper? Right, who knew? But there were some wonderful, wonderful actors that we met, um, Isai Morales, and um, I probably can't even remember all of them, but every once in a while I go through my, I go through, I go, I called my, uh, I called one of the girls a couple years ago and I said, did you know that we met Julia Roberts? She said, what do you mean? I go, she, because anybody who got booked on that show had to come through our office to fill out all the paperwork, you know, all the contracts. So we met a tremendous number of uh, people who became, you know, mega stars. It's fun. That's amazing. Now, just like you said, you've now moved into movies and commercials and you do everything now, but for a time, you were the TV go-to girl. Can you tell us, for those that don't know, casting directors in a way have their own audition process to get the role of casting director on a series. Can you tell us a little bit about how you do in fact acquire the show and then how you get acquainted with like the creative team and get it up and running for like the first episode of the season or the pilot. Mm-hmm. Well, um, I still do. I am still the, yes. the episodic television person. Um, that's like, uh, Oh, you're coming to Florida. Oh, Lori, <laughs> Lori's the one <laughs> now because I've got so much of that under my belt. I don't really, necessarily interview as much as just you know have a conversation Uh, there were times there was a a big tv show that I worked on huge down here and um, I had to really fight to just get the interview because they never even called me and I and I called and I begged and I you know scratched and I pleaded and I said I want to come in and and interview for it and um, I'm not going to mention it only because 
I could tell that um, they wanted another, a different casting director for it because of all the different, it was all that, you know, you could, you could see their handwriting on the wall, but the director, and that's who we had to meet with was the director. He was like, yep, I want you. And, um, and then it, it turned out to be a really, a really great show. But sometimes we, we interview and sometimes I just get a phone call saying, yeah, we're bringing this pilot to town and want to know if you'd be interested. I like that. Wouldn't know if you'd be interested in casting it, you know, and then I go, oh, let me think about, it. okay. <laughs> but um, because when you're in Florida, you really, um, you know, we don't have as much work as you do in Los Angeles and California, let's say. And that's why as a casting director, I cast television series, I cast feature films, and I also cast commercials. Whereas in LA, a lot of times the casting director is just a commercial casting director or just a, a film or just an extras casting director or whatever. Mm -hmm. So we pretty much do everything because there's not enough of one thing to keep us going. But I've been really so fortunate. I've done some really fabulous movies that just really lovely people. I did um, uh, Marley and Me, which was just fun, fun, fun with the director who did The Devil Wears Prada. And he told us stories about that. You know, you become friends because you're, you're on a little bit of a, a smaller market, even though we're full scale yeah. uh, crews. But you get to be a little a little bit more intimate with, with some of those people because you're in a smaller market. But I've just been so lucky. Last year, we did a series. It's not out quite yet called The Right Stuff, oh. all about the Apollo mission and the NASA Space Center in the late 1950s. Okay. And it's supposed to come out on Nat Geo. So it, they're still, I think, in editing. But we worked on that from June until December, till the end of the year. And the beauty of that is we were able to cast so many people out of the Southeast for recurring roles and guest stars and it was fabulous. It was really fabulous. And because of the self-taping, yeah. they were shooting it in the, in the Orlando area. But because of the self-taping, we were able to accept self-tapes from all over the Southeast. And people didn't have to drive in and fly in just to, you know, say two lines or, or whatever. And, and we cast some really, really wonderful people. And it was, it was, it was a great, great experience. Actors, I think, have two mindsets when it comes to self-tapes. They either thrive on that creativity and control of like getting to figure out hair and costuming and placing themselves in that world and also having the comfort of being in their own environment. There's another, which some people are not gonna like this, but some actors like to make excuses. And one of which is they, well, I don't get to connect with the creative team. I don't get to have a conversation. What if I don't understand? For those, to play devil's advocate. For those people that feel like they can't give their best self-tape because they can't have a conversation, if they have an absolutely must-ask burning question about a set of sides, for your office specifically, how is the best way that you want them to handle that? I would say ask your agent. We get, we get questions a lot. Um, I got something recently, and what it was was it was a typo on the sides. And several of the women had their agents reach out and say, what does this mean? So, um, and I was grateful that they asked. Yeah. Because I didn't realize it was a typo. 
So I was able to say, oh no, it's not this, it's that. Mm, wonderful. So I would absolutely ask your agent. Uh -huh. um, better to ask the question than make the mistake. That's my, that's my motto. Uh, and, and honestly, when you said that, you know, actors are like, well, I, you know, I making the excuses. Yeah. I always say, do you think Meryl Streep makes excuses? Do you think De Niro makes excuses? Do you think they go, oh, I, I wasn't feeling well that day, so I can't act? No, no. no. Do you think, oh, my throat hurts a little bit, so I'm not going to be able to act today. Either you're a good actor or you're not a good actor. Yeah. You know? Oh, there's a great quote. I'll think of it later, but um, about making excuses. But you know, there is no reason to make excuses other than yourself. You're feeling insecure, and you just have to bite the bullet and go for it. I remember doing a casting so many years ago, and there was this girl who came in to audition, and everybody, all the other women in the room were blonde. Blonde hair, that's what we were looking for, the beautiful blonde girl. Uh, it was this big national ad campaign for a product. And this girl came in and she was shorter and she had short, dark hair and dark eyes. She looked absolutely nothing like the girls in the waiting room. And the description was for all the other girls in the waiting room. And she said, I'm leaving. Don't leave, because she was a good actress. I said, please don't leave. She said, Lori, I look nothing like these people. They're, and she was coming up with every excuse in the world. I said, do me a favor. You're here. Just do it. Just do it. Just go for it. And she booked it. And uh, she did really, really, really well. And so you just never know. You know, you just really never know. You got to do it. You got to just throw it against the wall. If I always say to actors, if you do nothing, nothing will happen. But if you do something, you have a chance. You have a potential opportunity. And sometimes, and this has happened a lot, sometimes somebody sends in a self-tape for a role and we go, mm, they're not really right for that, but let's ask them if they'd be willing to take this other role because they're good. Yeah. They're not really right for that. So you just don't know. I mean, I have made so many phone calls over my career that didn't, didn't pan out. You know, I di it didn't amount to anything. But then months later, or even years later, I get a phone call saying, yeah, um, are you still around? Are you still interested? Are you st and so you just never know. Now this question is specifically for those that did, they crossed all the T's, they dotted all the I's. They truly, they acted their face off, but a question or rather a complaint I think we in the, the creative community often hear is I had this amazing audition. I felt like I killed it. It was like everybody's energy was great in the room. It was amazing. Um, but I would really love an unfiltered view from the casting process of how some of those hard decisions are made because we can have, just like you were saying, an incredible audition, but you guys put us over here in another pile for another role or for even like just stay on their mind for another project. But can you give us a little insight to sometimes how those amazing auditions don't always translate to a booking or a callback? And it's nothing that we did. It's just the heavy, hard decisions. It is because we can't book everybody. And I always say that's my, 
that's my saddest regret when I do a project that we can't book everybody. If I send five self tapes to the producer, then I think that those five people are really, really good. That they all five have the opportunity to, to do this part. But obviously only one of them is gonna book the role because you can only have one person book the role. And sometimes we try to slot those people into other roles. Uh-huh. But sometimes there aren't other roles to slot them into. Yeah. And you just can't take it as much as I know you want to. You just can't take it personally because you really don't know the reasoning. It could be something as simple as, you know, uh, I have a, an, an, an actress friend of mine and she works a good amount and I've actually booked her on several projects. And one day we, we were hiking because we're personal friends as well. And, but we made a, a rule, you know, when we're hiking, when we're, when we're in the mountains, we don't talk business. Yeah. So she said to me, she goes, I know, I know I'm not supposed to ask you this, but I just have to ask you. I said, all right. It was when I was casting Bloodline. You know that role that I, that I auditioned for for Bloodline? I, I just thought, like you said, I just thought I did the best audition. I thought I was so good. I thought I was so great. I, could you just tell me why I didn't book it? And I said, I'll tell you. Okay, you know, you could see her like bracing. Go ahead. I said, they wrote it out. They wrote it out? I go, yeah. Oh my gosh, I feel so much better. At least I know it wasn't anything I did. And I mean, I could see this poor girl. She was just like so relieved. And you as actors, you may never get that intel. You know, you may never get that piece of information to find out it was nothing that you did. It was written out. Or they changed the description of it. It was a man and then it was a woman. Or it was... Um, or it was older and now it's younger or, or you know, and, and oftentimes it's something like that, but you never get that information. And as casting directors, we don't really have the time to call, you know, if we're casting 12 roles, that means we have probably submitted 60 to 80 actors. Yeah. Well, we don't, we cast 12 and then we don't call the other 65 and say, well, this is why you didn't get it. And this is why you didn't get, it. I mean, we, we, you know, I mean, just yeah. there, I wish, I wish I had that kind of time, but I don't. Sometimes so it's like, well, out and the auditions are simply a backup. They're really right. role, even up for grabs necessarily. Sometimes I think in Florida, not as much, maybe with the guest star roles, sometimes with the guest star roles or the, the big recurrings, they have somebody in mind out in LA yeah. But what they do in Florida is they say, well, let, let's see if we can find somebody as good because they'll be local. Yeah. They might be less expensive. We don't have to deal with the travel and that, all that stuff. And um, yeah, so sometimes it is a backup and sometimes it, it, it truly is. We're looking for somebody more local and we don't have anybody as a backup, you know, anybody waiting in the wings. But it's very... Um, it's too bad. And I know actors, I think one of the reasons actors love being in the room is because they, they do, they love that connection. I know actors who dropped out of the business when all this self-taping started because they said, you know, when I walk into a room, I knock it out of the park. When I'm standing in the room and they say, I don't even know if my video was even seen. I don't even know, you know, was it seen? Did they like it? Did they not like it? Did I give them what they wanted? 
there was nobody to redirect. Yeah, there's all that. There's all of that that no longer is in play when you do the self tapes. But like we were saying earlier, there is a new normal. And that new normal now is this, is yeah. the self-taping where you're not in the room with the casting director, you're not in the room with the producer or the director. They're gonna book you off the tape. And let me tell you, it's just as scary for the producer and the director as it is for you because they're booking somebody off of a videotape. What we don't know, we don't know how many hours it may have taken you to get three paragraphs perfectly. So we don't, and you were, oh my gosh, you were perfect. We don't know if you were sitting there with your acting coach who kept doing it and doing it and doing it until finally we got a perfect audition. And all we see is the perfect audition. We go, oh, he was great. Let's book him. And then he gets on the set and he can't get the words out. Mm -hmm. yeah. So that has happened as well. So you're a little nervous on your end. We're a little nervous on our end because I've seen it. I've seen it where the self-tape is brilliant. And then they get on the set and I get the phone call. Don't, don't bring them in again. Don't read them again, Lori, because once we get them on the set, they're scared, they're nervous, they can't perform. You know, like you were saying earlier, Lori, you, you know, maybe you have, um, maybe you have people who can do it after so many tries but then they show up to the set and they can't perform. Yeah. And we don't know that until you get to the set. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's a two way street. We're a little nervous on our end as well. Yeah. And I think that's something really important for actors to keep in mind in this new normal, which just like we were talking about before we started the episode, it, it really is the new normal and we need to let that sink in we need to learn these skills and take them seriously because we could potentially be doing this 70 percent or more for the rest of our careers i don't know that casting will ever go back to what it was you were talking about your zoom callbacks for a coca-cola commercial recently yeah. mm -hmm. and I, I think that there is a whole new frontier of mistakes to make on the zoom and the facetime callbacks um i've already heard of a couple of people um, like staring straight into camera rather than like having a connection with the person they're looking at on the, the monitor. Can you talk a little bit about which is what you were sharing with me about Coca-Cola and how that new normal is changing the process and in some improvements actually? Yeah, I think that um, I, I enjoyed it. So I, I did this big worldwide Coca-Cola campaign about a month or so ago and we were looking for families who were quarantining together. That, that's who the talent were. And it turned out that they were shooting in London, Shanghai, China, Mexico City, Orlando, Florida, you know, places all over the world. And we had to get families who were going to self-tape themselves yeah. and then send it in. And we send all those videos to the client and the client watched them and they narrowed it down to the families that they liked. And then we had a callback session because they wanted to be able to on Zoom, they wanted to be able to interact with them. They wanted to be able to speak to them and ask them questions and see their true personality when speaking to uh, clients. And the the director, rather, she was a, was a woman and she lives in Los Angeles. And I knew that earlier that day, they had a call back in Mexico City. The night before they had a call back in Shanghai, China. Earlier the day before they had one in London, England. And so I asked her, I said, are you 
normally would you have to fly to all of these places to do your callbacks? And she said, yes. I said, oh my gosh, you're kidding. She said, no. She said, as a matter of fact, she was thinking of getting out of the business. She said, because I, I just can't take it. And she's not an old woman exactly, but she said, it's just very hard on the body, very hard as you can well imagine. Our little callback had the director in Los Angeles, the producers were in London, England, I was in Miami, Florida, and the talent were in Orlando, Florida. So we were in four different places. So some three people were going to have to travel big time if we were in the same space. Yeah. And what I realized was we were actually able to do the job equally as efficiently as if we were actually all sitting in the same room. So everybody would zoom in at their appointed time. Uh -huh. So your appointed time was two o'clock and you'd zoom in. We enabled the Zoom waiting room. So you sat in your waiting room until we clicked our little button and in you came. And you know, I'm sure most of you who are listening to this have participated in a Zoom, some kind of Zoom meeting and you can see each other. So on our little Zoom meeting was myself, the producer, the director, the director's assistant, and then that particular family. And it went on for 10 or 15 minutes. We said, thank you very much. Bye-bye. The next family was in the waiting room and so on. And it is a new normal. And I realized as during this callback experience, I realized, look at all the time that can be saved. Look at all the money that can be saved. Just think about from a production and, and talent as well, but from the production standpoint, all the plane tickets, they don't have to purchase. All of the hotel rooms, they don't have to reserve. Uh, the rental cars or the transportation once they get to that location, um, the per diem for all the meals and whatnot, and, and just the coordination of all of that just to do the callback. Yeah. And the same with you as talent. Mm -hmm. These people were in Orlando, but let's say the callback was going to be in Miami, or let's say the callback was going to be in Atlanta. How many of you have driven three, four, five hours to go to a callback? Yep. You walk in, you sign in, you're in and out in a matter of five minutes, and then you're back in your car and you're driving three, four, five hours back. Now, it's very strenuous and it's also very stressful. And let's say, and I, I've, I've done this with actors, let's say you're running a little bit late. So you walk in the room and as soon as you walk in, there's nobody in the waiting room. So they see you and they go, hey, oh great, can you come in right now? And you're like, I, I just got here. That's okay, Come, can I go to the bathroom first? Can you go to the bathroom afterwards? Just come in because we're, I mean, I've done that where clients are like, hey, if there's somebody out there, can we see them right now? Because they're they're in a hurry and they want to start seeing people. Oh, yeah. Now, here you are. You arrived at a, at a callback. You didn't even have the chance to go to the bathroom, fix your hair one more time, look at your dialogue one more time, uh, uh, look at your clothes, make sure that you, you didn't look like a hot mess after just driving for four hours. Yeah. And not to mention the psychological effects that it's doing to you. You walk in and I throw something at you and I go, now, now, come in now. And your brain's going, oh, no, 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 I'm not ready. I'm not ready. Uh, hi, how are you? Nice to meet you. And you get back in your car 
after five minutes and cry. And you don't even know. And you don't even know what just happened. Yep. I know. I've so seen really it. Bad. I know. Yeah. So I just think the Zoom, I think there's a lot of positivity yeah. doing a Skype callback or a Zoom callback for you to have to drive or fly to, to, to do eight hours, you know, an eight hour drive distance, or even if it's a short one, it's three and a half hours, three and a half hours is still a very long drive to go to a callback. And it's an even longer drive to go home if you feel like you messed up. Because then you're beating yourself up the whole way home. I should have gotten there earlier and I wasn't ready. And why didn't I tell them I wasn't ready? I mean, I know what goes through your head. I know what goes through your head. Yeah. Um, I think there's a lot of positives when it comes to these online. Yeah, a couple things, you know, but you're in the room with them. It's you're in the room. You're yeah. just in a different room. You're in a Zoom room instead of an in-person room. You're not shaking our hands. You're smiling at us. You're yeah. waving. Hi, nice to meet you. There's a lot of beauty in that because it's the same as like we're connecting. We haven't actually been in a physical room together, but like I feel like, you know, you had a lovely conversation before we got started and, and it is different. And I think there's so many improvements. Yes, a self-tape is great and it's still a very valid and valuable tool for going forward. And But you can still, you can record the video from a Zoom callback. Um, there's just, oh, yes. there's a lot to uh, to take in and I think <laughs> embrace rather than resist in the new normal. I think we're going to, that's going to be a big determiner of who thrives in this. You're going to have to embrace it because mm -hmm. if you resist it, I think you will lose. Oh, yeah. Because those of us who are participating in this technology, I, I do, I teach on Zoom. Yeah. I, I, I've used this tech, I've actually been using Zoom to teach for several years now. Oh. And I, I was really excited because I was like ahead of the curve. Woohoo. But I know teachers, I know acting teachers who no longer teach because they either, refuse to embrace the technology. Mm -hmm. They don't know how to use the technology. They're terrified of the technology. But you know, what's so cool. I was talking to a friend of mine who does a scene study class. And I said, you know, we can do it on Zoom. We can use utilize the breakout rooms. We can put, you know, the different yeah. pairings of actors in the breakout rooms, let them work out together, then bring everybody back. And I mean, you're not touching each other. But like you said, you know, it's the same, it's the same, you can get somebody's personality by looking at them. You know, if you connect with somebody or you don't connect with somebody, whether you're in person or you're not. Such an advocate for actors, having spent years of your own career learning how to understand and support us. Um, you even went back for your master's in drama therapy. If you somehow could pull each actor aside before we walked into the room or into the virtual audition, and give us one piece of advice, encouragement, just say something to each actor, what would it be? Because you clearly love us. I do actually, <laughs> I do, I do, I do, I do. Yeah. I really do, I, I do. Um, I, I have a few things that I always say to actors, don't take no for an answer, but if they're coming into, if they're coming into a callback or into a session, I just say, just know that we want you to be brilliant. We are on your side. We on this side are on your side because the truth of the matter is we just want to cast the role. 
and we're praying and hoping that that next actor who comes in knocks it out of the park. Yeah. So know that we're on your side. We want you to be brilliant. Please don't be afraid of us. Please don't be nervous. Easier said than done. I get it. True. But as best you can, please don't be nervous because we're your ally. We want you to do well. And I, I say that to actors and I, I do, I mean it because I want you and we all do. I mean, this is just not me and then other casting directors want you to fall on your face. No, no, we all want you to be good. See, cause the better you look, the better I look. Yeah. So I like to look good. Of course I love when I do a casting and the client, like, like this little casting I did last week, it was again, self-tapes. And the client called me and said, oh my gosh, these people were great. That's all I need to hear. Thank you. You know, that's what we want to hear. We want to hear these people are great. We want to hear, wow, you brought us so many good options. It's hard to pick. That's what we want to hear. So when you come in, I want you to be focused. I want you to, to, to stay in your own zone. Don't listen and know anything that you do see or hear is not personal. If I've never met you before, you can't take anything that I say to you personally. Yeah. And, you know, actors, actors are very sensitive people. You know, so if somebody says to you, oh, you cut your hair. Not, I like your hair. I don't like your hair, but an observation. Oh, you cut your hair. Don't take anything personally. Just go in, do the very best you can. And that's the best you can do. And walk out. And if you know in your gut, that you did the very best you could do. Mm-hmm. That's the best you can do. That's all you can do. Yeah. And then you can go about and have a good rest of your day. <laughs> now, I want to talk a bit about the organic actor. Can you share a little bit about your Zoom classes? And you also have a book and there is a beautifully built out website that you created and just give a, a little. Oh, wow. Okay, thanks. So the organic actor came from, you know, actors, are acting organically, you know. Back in 1998, I was diagnosed with breast cancer. And I had, uh, I was told to do chemo radiation and a double mastectomy. And I said, no. I was like, no, I don't think so. That's not, that's not for me. And so instead, I changed my entire everything. Everything that I ate was organic. No pesticides, no chemicals, no, like I literally changed everything. I changed pots and pans. I changed, like everything had to go out of all of my cabinets. And then I had to rebuy anything and everything that I used for cooking or on my body and everything. So that was in 1998. That was a long time ago. And, um, and three years, almost three years later, three years later, I gave birth to my very first and only child, an amazing child, healthy. Thank you, God. And, uh, so because of that transition, back then, I have been all about doing things naturally, Uh whatever, you know, curing yourself naturally, uh, fixing what ails you naturally. And then in 2012, I I graduated, I got a a master's degree and my concentration was drama therapy. Uh I wrote a a drama therapy play on audition anxiety. It was called Six Actors in Search of a Booking. And um, it was basically, it took took actors through the steps of what it's like 
from the time you get the phone call to the time you audition to the time you get the call that says you booked or you didn't book. And uh, I was able to put it on at the college and it was, it was really good. So then I created my website for actors, which is the organic actor. I have the Lori Wyman casting. That's my casting director website, but the organic actor is for actors. There's a lot of great videos on there. There's a lot of great information. Since the pandemic started, I have been doing a free one hour Q and A with the CD every Thursday, mm -hmm. uh, 2 PM Eastern. So wherever you are, do, do that math. So it's 2 PM Eastern and I do it on Facebook live and my Facebook live is Lori Wyman's office hours, but there's also a zoom. There's a zoom component and a Facebook live component and you can go to the organic actor and sign up for my newsletter. Cause I send out every week and I always have like hundreds of people every week and we do Q and A's and I try to keep everybody motivated and I do, sometimes I do some positive um, motivational videos that I show the group. And a lot of actors have said to me, thank you. This one hour every week has been a godsend. It's kept me going. It's kept me positive because, you know, I understand you guys. It's very difficult to keep yourself going. I get it, you know, because our mind has a habit. It wants to sabotage us. And if it sabotages us, we're in trouble. And so we have to make sure that we stay focused and we stay positive. Even if we just stay in today, don't look at tomorrow. Lord knows we have no idea what tomorrow's gonna bring. So today we have to focus on today and we have to focus on our craft. And so I started teaching, I'd been teaching on Zoom for the last few years. But then when this thing happened, cause I would teach on Zoom and I would teach live. And a lot of my students said, what are you going to do now? I said, well, I can't teach live. Well, you have to keep teaching though. So I teach on Zoom. I do a weekly class. I'm on a little bit of a break. I took a couple of weeks off to clean out my office. <laughs> I've been uh, doing that too. That's a great, you know, keep yourself moving. Mm -hmm. Don't stop. Um, now is a perfect time to update your resume, get new headshots, lose the weight you've wanted to lose, gain the weight you wanted to gain, um, change your hair. I never liked a blonde. I want to be a brunette. I never liked my hair long. I want to cut my hair, whatever. Now is a perfect time to get yourself in order. Go through the, the files that you have. You know, Every time you, you auditioned, you kept the sides and the scripts. You might have bags and bags and bags of paperwork. Maybe you only need half of it. When you clear the clutter, you clear your mind. And so I took a hiatus from teaching for a couple of weeks just because I'm doing just that in my office. And I know because of the law of the universe, when you clear out, you open up the space for more to come in. And I totally know that. And every time we get a little bit slow in the office, I always look at my assistant and I go, ah, time to clean. She goes, I know, you know, time to clean. So we clean everything out and we, we make room for more goodness to come into our world. So that's kind of the long and short reason for all of the organic stuff. But I'm really a big proponent of positive thinking, staying in today, whatever you're going through, this too shall pass because it will, whatever it is, if it's great or if it's not great. I have watched actors, their emotions soar when they book something. And then they're in a complete funk 
when they don't book something or when they lose something or when they were booked and then they lost it or they shot something and they were edited out, you know, going bing, 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 you know, the emotions. And um, okay. so just don't, like I said, easier said than done, but don't let all of that get to you because tomorrow will be another day and today will be yesterday and you will keep going because you have to keep going. Just if I always say, pursue your passion. If this is what you love, do not let anybody steal that from you. And as a casting director, it's just my opinion. I may not like blondes. I, I'm blonde. I may not like blondes. And so just because I don't like blondes doesn't mean the next guy doesn't like blondes. Yeah. You know, I, 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 I use ice cream as, as my metaphor. My daughter and my husband love vanilla ice cream. There could be 27 vanilla ice creams in my freezer. I will never touch a single one. I don't like vanilla. There's nothing wrong with vanilla. I don't like it. I love chocolate. My husband, not so much. Now, there's nothing wrong with chocolate and there's nothing wrong with vanilla. It's just our personal taste. So if you don't book something, there's nothing wrong with you. You just may not be the personal taste of that particular person. Yeah. And what somebody thinks of you is none of your business. You know what I'm saying? So it's important for you to have your own self-esteem. Everybody doesn't like me. Everybody's not going to like me. Everybody is not going to like you. That's just, that's just human nature. Yeah. But you like yourself and you do the very best you can. That's all we can ask. Lori, I don't even know how you're going to top everything you've shared, but our last question, which is normally uh -oh. a silver, what is one thing you wish you could go back and tell your younger self? Oh, what is one thing? I think about that sometimes. What is one thing uh, would be to, to have self-confidence, to know you're okay, uh -huh. you know, to know that you are okay. Don't let what other people say to you affect your opinion of yourself. Lori, I cannot thank you enough. Hi everyone, thanks for listening and to my guest today, Lori Wyman. If you'd like to learn more about Lori, you can find her on Instagram or theorganicactor.com. Thanks for joining us today. I'm Laura Linda Bradley and this is What's My Frame.